Hello guys, and welcome back to Relevant Founders, brought to you by Relevant Software. Relevant is an international software development company that designs, builds, and delivers world-class standard products for Fortune 500 companies and promising startups. Our next guest on Relevant Founders is Cecilia Tamez, Chief Strategy Officer for the Money Segment for Euronet. We're going to be talking about the most extensive real-time cross-payment money system in the world, Dandelion. Also, how COVID has forced an incredible amount of innovation, how Cecilia says startups need to be solving problems, not creating them, and how competition is now turning into what Cecilia terms cooperation, with companies realizing they don't have to build everything themselves on relevant founders. Cecilia, really good to see you today. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good. Thank you for coming on. Um, so just to get started, obviously, we can't start without getting to know you a little bit. I will let you do that instead of me uh, introducing you. So mm-hmm. Cecilia, tell us a little bit about who is Cecilia Thomas. Okay. So uh, I am the Chief Strategy Officer of the money transfer segment at Euronet, as you mentioned. Uh, Euronet is a publicly traded company. Um, it has been around uh, for many decades, uh, but it has been an industry leader in payments for a very long time. Uh, especially in uh, Eastern Europe, actually, um, with ATMs. Uh, but it has three distinct money um, uh, business units. Uh, the one that I work for is the money transfer segment. And our focus is driving cross-border payments uh, around the world. In that money transfer segment, we have three different distinct brands. Uh, the first one is Ria Money Transfers. And Ria Money Transfers focuses on re- the remittance product, uh, generally, it uh, looks to drive consumer-to-consumer transfers for uh, migrant workers or people wanting to send money home to their family or their loved ones. Um, then we have XE, which was acquired in 2015. Mm-hmm. XE is a online. It, it started off as an online informational company. That's where I hail from. That's I was at acquisition with XE, um, and uh, and it has hundreds of. Uh, millions of, of users of the platform for information purposes, but we also do uh, a money transfer segment product, a money transfer product to enable people to send money digitally. And then our most recent brand that we launched in November of last year is Dandelion. So the way that I describe it is similar to what Amazon did with AWS, where they built this incredible core for their business to run their business. Uh, we built this incredible real-time cross-border payments network to help our businesses function and be able to serve our customers. But we realized there were a lot of people in the world who uh, could benefit from such a network because there was a real challenge uh, in a lot of financial institutions to send money, especially to emerging markets and to alternative channels. So what we did was we productized our core, our network, and we built a brand around it. We called it Dandelion. And now we are enabling banks and fintechs to leverage that core that network so that they can improve their money transfer services to other people as well, to their customers. We're going to get on to all of this. I'm so impressed that this sounds like a lot of work and a lot of uh, (laughs) work in one go. So let's start right from the beginning. Just for our listeners, explain Mm -hmm. to me, what is the money transfer segment? So money transfer segment, as I mentioned, is these three brands. Um, Our key focus is to make sure that we're driving cross-border payment improvement around the world, whether it be at a C2C level, at a B2B level, XE serves C2C all the way to uh, B2B. Mm-hmm. And then whether our network is the full spectrum C2C to B2B, 
but we serve, instead of going direct to market to consumers and businesses, we enable those banks and fintechs to be able to do it for their own customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we do, uh, we focus a lot on <clears throat> driving better technology for them, making it easy for them to integrate into that network easily with a single API, and uh, as well as driving improvement for connecting into emerging markets in real time, as well mm-hmm. as alternative channels, which are really key in emerging markets in order to make those transfers successful. Tell me a little bit more about Dandelion. Obviously, obviously now your latest project since November, I think you said you have launched it. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the decision around launching it? Why, where did it come from? What did you guys kind of get to and think that we, we need to launch this one now? How come? Mm-hmm. Where did it come? Um, I think there's a real need in in the industry to be able to solve these really key issues. Mm-hmm. So we recognized that we had a really unique product. Uh, one of the one of the areas that was a big focus for us was building a bank network into emerging markets, <clears throat> and that was uh, because we wanted to be able to drive more penetration into these markets where otherwise other people would have challenges with. So the driving factor for building that network was really to build our own product to, to drive competitive uh, advantage for ourselves. Um, so it, along the way, we built the largest cross-border bank network. Uh, and that includes building those thousands of relationships with correspondent banks that enable us to have that direct connection without intermediary banks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as the real-time payments movement has moved in, a lot of central banks are really focusing on driving real-time payments domestically, but there's not been a lot of people who have really focused on bringing all of those real-time payment networks that are domestic and bringing them all together internationally. Mm -hmm. So because we already had uh, thousands of relationships with these correspondent banks, our focus really was to create this virtual network of real-time payments so that we could bridge all of the real-time payment networks that were domestic and bring them together into this international network. Uh, so that has essentially given us the ability to drive the little largest real-time cross-border payment network in the world. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, we recognize that emerging markets are really depending on uh, alternative channels because a lot of the populations are underbanked or unbanked. Mm-hmm. In the world, we've got a 1.7 billion people who are uh, underbanked consumers. Mm-hmm. We have more than 200 million businesses who are underbanked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, we also propose the idea that there's actually a lot of banks in emerging markets mm-hmm. who are underbanked as well. Mm-hmm. And that means that they're not uh, enabling those connections with established banks or banks in established markets. So our real focus is really to bridge that gap between established markets and, uh, and emerging markets to build those opportunities. Now, why now? It's really important because as we move out of COVID and people realize, you know what? Remote work is actually really valid. And with the great resignation, people are looking to start to hire people around the world. And it becomes difficult when you don't have healthy payment rails. So having these payment rails and enabling people to grow their business and drive connections into emerging markets that are driving significantly higher growth rates than some established markets, it really drives a lot of opportunity. Banks are waking up to this and realizing, you know what, this is an area of weakness for us. This is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, a, A large percentage of businesses that have been surveyed tend to use third party money transfer operators in order to do their bank transfers, their their 
cross-border payments transfers because they can't do it with their bank well. And banks are realizing this. They realize that they're losing their market share and understanding that this is a service that they need to build in order to keep that retention with their business customers, with their consumer customers, and, and, and to drive that competitive edge that they're losing with, with fintechs that are currently providing those services. And are many banks actually taking this on? They know that it's needed now. Obviously, there's a lot of work that goes into it as well. Are many banks really starting to move forwards with it? Or are you seeing some kind of hesitation or are they still slow to get off the mark at the moment? Uh, you're seeing a lot of attention from banks mm -hmm. uh, and not just community banks, not small banks, uh, global banks who really need to uh, drive that connectivity because they know that they're not serving their customers well. They know that this is something that they really need to do and there's an urgency for them to be able to connect to it. One of the challenges with banks is that they struggle with legacy infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So in order to drive technology projects, it's really hard for them to do that because they have a lot of legacy systems, sometimes with code that is obsolete, that where they can't even find software developers that know those languages anymore. Absolutely. So they're really constrained uh, technology-wise. And then also from a priority perspective, they know overall they need to look at this piece holistically and connect to these emerging markets. But when they look at the work that it takes to build these networks on their own, uh, it, it becomes very difficult to prioritize that other over other urgent mm -hmm. uh, projects that they have to do. So one of the areas that we really focus on is driving a really easy integration where they don't have to rip and replace systems, but really they can just augment their existing uh, platform and services, nice. overlay that in yeah. addition to the cross-border payment services that they have so that they're not disrupting their current business, but they're actually just augmenting and driving a better service for their customers. About obviously, um, there's specific areas that you're working with, traveling to a lot of areas at the moment. Where's the areas which you feel are most, let's say stuck in the past with this, where are you trying to tap into to bring them forwards into, well, this new world? It's a really interesting question. And I think the answer might be a little surprising because I've had, I've had somebody ask me recently, you know, is it that banks are really struggling to connect into old technology in emerging markets? And actually the story is a little bit upside down because emerging markets have actually done a lot of recent investment. They know that in order to be established as emerging markets, they need to invest in their infrastructure. They need to invest in their economy and their people. So governments and central banks are driving a lot of innovation within their environments. Uh, it's actually banks and established markets that have been around for a really long time that, are, that have the legacy platforms, that have the legacy technology and banking. And it's bringing that legacy technology to connect to these new alternative channels and, and, and bridging that connection is, is the piece that they struggle with. So it's really, when you think about some of the countries such as India, who has done amazing jobs of uh, bringing mobile wallets, financial inclusion, really driving digitization of their economy, uh, they have done an incredible job of, of evolving their economy, evolving their technology. They've taken what they call bank light. So they've worked with telcos to give them light banking licenses 
almost everybody in India has a cell phone, even if they don't have a bank account. Mm -hmm. So if you can put a cell phone in somebody's hand, they can be banked. So they're really pushing the envelope on how do you bank underbanked people? How do you drive that innovation to make sure that somebody who might be selling fruit at a food stand still has the ability to accept a digital payment, yeah. right? And banks in established markets are, are realizing that in order to make cross-border payments successful, they need to embrace alternative channels. They need to embrace innovation as their customers expect them to. Spoke there just a little bit earlier about so obviously the growth is going to be quite huge really in the, in the coming years. Um, as a company at, at Dandelion, um, how are you going to tackle this? Because you're saying out kind of the, the needs are um, outpacing what you can actually supply. How are you challenging this? Do you uh, outsource a lot? How do you um, think in the future you will concentrate on, okay, we've got enough um, engineers to tackle this problem? Actually, the challenge is not so much the engineering of it. Uh, we're really scalable. Uh -huh. So from a technology perspective, we are very well positioned uh, because we are leveraging the technology that supports Euronet, and that's hundreds of millions of transactions. So mm -hmm. we're very robust. We have a high uptake uh, in terms of stability. So it, it's not so much on the engineering side. Uh, it's really uh, spending the time with, with all of the people that are interested and in making sure that we're giving them the level of comfort that the service that mm -hmm. we provide is the service that's going to be robust enough. Mm -hmm. uh, in, obviously, there's a lot of demand in the world for engineering, for data science, for uh, technical people. Uh, that's a big challenge. But one of the benefits that we have being an international business uh, we, is that uh, we have 50 offices around the world. And of those 50 offices around the world, 40% of it is, is established uh, out in, in emerging markets. Mm -hmm. So that actually gives us a lot of advantage in that we're able to hire people in in a lot of countries and we can access talent almost anywhere uh, anywhere in the world wow incredible um so really the world is at your fingertips here yeah so um would Absolutely. you say there are any kind of anything that holds you back drawbacks with having a team that is kind of well placed all around the world is there any difficulties that come with that um, I think probably would have been more challenging prior to COVID uh, when businesses were not as established mm -hmm. and, and able to have conversations digitally. Um, and, and after COVID, I think we've proven to ourselves that remote work and digital work environments are very much productive mm -hmm. and that they are a, a real option for us in terms of accessing talent that otherwise we were not giving ourselves an opportunity to do. Yeah. So I think, you know, a lot of terrible things have happened because of COVID, but it has actually forced an incredible amount of innovation and pushed our comfort levels to really prove to ourselves that remote work, digital engagement, uh, technology, infrastructure to enable that kind of digital collaboration is is really doable and can be very successful mm -hmm. but sure but but at some point you have to get on a plane and you have to go visit your team and and i think that is a really important aspect of building culture and it's one thing to build that culture when you are have worked 
and you know each other face to face, and now you move into a digital platform. I think if you're hiring people and bringing them into a digital environment, having never met face to face, mm -hmm. I think it's still important to get on an airplane Absolutely. and go have a meeting uh, face to face, share a meal, uh, and 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 learn to trust each other and, mm -hmm. and work well together, so that that kind of camaraderie can can also uh, translate into a digital environment as well. You know, I can imagine how busy you are if you've got 50 offices around the country. <laughs> that's, quite, that's quite a challenge. I'm not well. personally visiting 1250, but there's definitely a lot of travel in the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell me um, a little bit about obviously working for XE from mm -hmm. quite um, early on in your career, you really moved up the ranks in XE. How has that experience helped you with what you're doing at Dandelion right now? So I was, when I went to my interview with XC, I, I was familiar with XC in the past. I used the website uh, for, for many years and uh, it's, it was one of the first dynamic websites in the world. Uh, mm -hmm. It's been around since 1993 uh, and, and a lot of people use it, as I mentioned. When I went for my job interview, there were three guys in the room and I thought, okay, this must be the head office. Where's it? Where's the rest of the company? And I realized that was it. There were three guys that had been running this business. Uh, so when, uh, when I started at XE, we ended up with five people on my very first day at the company. And we, we grew that company from five people to many more until uh, 2015 when it was acquired. And it was uh, an incredibly exciting and uh, satisfying experience to take this company from five people and grow it to where it is today. And when we are five people, we're sitting around the table, we have those conversations, we know what opportunities there are and you just have to pick them because there's always so many opportunities. You also have to roll up your sleeves and be prepared to do a little bit of everything. You know, you answer the telephones, you talk to customers, you code pages, you translate, um, you translate content, you write content. You don't have people to do that for you. You do it all and you'll collaborate and you sit together and it's really easy to communicate and work well because it's a small team and you all have this common goal. As you grow as a company, um, you have to work with letting things go and allowing other people to do it. And that's always an emotional struggle, uh, but it's a, it's a growth opportunity to, to trust people. Um, you grow to learn that what works in communication with five people doesn't always work when you're 400 people. So there's different, there's an evolution there in terms of how to operate. Um, but uh, you know, a lot of lessons were learned in terms of how to work as a team, how to grow successfully, how to set the right foundations, um, how to create the right uh, level of trust and integrity within your team. And, and there's some foundational pieces that never change. You know, you have to carry with integrity from the time you're five people to the time you're 400 people or 7,000 people. Um, and, and I think that, that building Dandelion as we launch it, it is a new brand, uh, but we are a small team who's, who is bringing to market this new product. Mm -hmm. The slight difference is that it's already a core product that was built and has a history 
of many, many people that contributed to creating this, this service. Uh, so it's kind of like bringing this startup into out of this established business and br bridging that sense of startup and that freshness and possibility and small group of people who are communicating really effectively and it's incredibly exciting. Mm. It brings me back to the early days of XC of how exciting it was um, because it, it is a, a, a product that's so exciting. We all really believe in it, but then also making sure that we are applying the lessons that we learned around making sure that we're communicating with a broader team, the people that have created this product from the roots, the, you know, the compliance teams that know how to operate globally and make sure that we're established uh, with, with proper regulation and following rules. And, you know, it's, it's a combination, but it's a wonderful experience to be able to bring both worlds together because it's an amazing uh, platform that has a strong foundation and you don't have that sense of what if or what next because you, you really have a much more solid plan. You've got the foundation, you've got the support as well. You know, normally in a kind of startup sphere, you've got nothing really to fall back on. And it seems Dandelion actually has that opportunity if it needs to, to fall back on the support, which is already there. I'm trying to obviously um, imagine what it would be like to be one of five right at the beginning to obviously how it is now, how obviously how big it's become. Um, how do you, you sit there about really being important in believing what you're trying to do at Dandelion? How do you make mm -hmm. sure from five members of staff to 400 members of staff, how do you make sure everyone or as many as possible are believing in what you were trying to achieve? I think really understanding the vision of what you're trying to achieve and being able to do a good job of articulating the Mm -hmm. the goal, uh, the purpose of it, uh, and helping people understand how they contribute to making that a reality, I think is really important. It really helps to know that your product has a really min meaningful role in the world in, in driving financial inclusion, in bringing uh, really powerful change to the world that I think is something that excites people it's a, it's it's not only a business that's exciting from a growth opportunity from from uh from uh, opportunity to drive real success but it's also a product that where you really feel good about delivering that to the world because you know that it's going to help people mm -hmm. uh, bridge that connection between established markets and emerging markets and and solve some really meaty problems that the world has not mm -hmm. had a an opportunity to solve for so I think really helping people understand how they contribute, making sure that uh, you are always communicating the successes and the excitement yeah. and showing, it, it comes from the top, showing the excitement that we have around the opportunities and how wonderful it is to be able to work with such a great team, Absolutely. I think gets people excited. Tell me, um, where, how has the industry changed over the last 10 years? Obviously, we mentioned COVID um, and mm -hmm. the effects that COVID has had and is going to have. have. Um, but how has it changed? Has it changed significantly fast over the last 10 years? What has been your, your observations? Yeah, I mean, I think 
if I think about the, the, the early days of, of when I started in the industry, I started in 2004. So it's been mm -hmm. more than 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, uh, when there were no rules, there was, there was no such thing as digital marketing or there was no role called SEO. Um, by the time 10 years ago when uh, happened, we already had those roles well established, uh, but there were still not as many people in the money transfer industry. Mm -hmm. um, I think we started to see more people uh, enter, put their hat in, in, in the space. And really a lot of them were looking to solve issues for customers that were challenges. Uh, and I think with, with all of, as entrants came in, we challenged each other to be better. When in the early days, people expected that the customer experience was, you, you're just gonna have to deal with some clunky experiences because there was no alternative. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I think in the past 10 years, certainly the industry has learned to deal with regulation more successfully. Um, have, we have better technology to be able to drive improved customer experience. And that really has been the driving force around the competitive advantage is to create a better customer experience to reduce the friction for customers. And I'd say the last 10 years has really driven significant innovation and in how we've been able to achieve that. Mm -hmm. But I think at the end of the day, uh, the last frontier is that you can have an amazing customer experience but at a front end, but the reality is that a payment is only as good as the rails that it sits on, yes. you know? And if you have payments that take days, if you have intermediary banks that are continue, continuing to skim fees mm -hmm. uh, along the way that are unexpected, that I think is the last frontier of issues that we're trying to solve for the customer experience. And I think that's where Dandelion really drives innovation and that we're removing the invisible friction the customers do experience but are not as visible. Tell me there, so we were talking about obviously its future as well. We're going to go into its future in a second, but what I'm interested in mm -hmm. is knowing the competition um, out there at the moment. Is there a lot of competition? Is there enough competition? Is there too much competition? What, what is it like in the industry so far? I think it's interesting. There's a new kind of competition, I would mm -hmm. say, uh, that I once heard someone refer to it as co-opetition. Okay. Uh, and, and really, it's that there are a lot of entrants uh, coming into the industry. I think some of the entrants have realized that in order to be nimble, they don't have to build everything themselves. Mm -hmm. And in the early days of money transfer, digital money transfer businesses, really you had to build everything from scratch because there were no reg tech, there were no uh, compliance out of the box programs. There were no uh, such uh, companies that focused on these areas of the value chain. Uh, our business comes from the originals where we really built a lot of that infrastructure ourselves. So you've got new entrants who are much more open to collaborating and cooperating to build products that are taking almost like recipes, ingredients from different providers to build a new company that can create a service for customers. So I think uh, nowadays, I think the co-opetition is, is the new competition, which is everyone's really working together. We're all collaborating in the background and, and driving uh, 
a better product for customers in a way that we may present it to customers in different ways or have different use cases or focuses or, or, or verticals, but really there's a lot more cooperation amongst them. And that includes fintechs and banks together. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Is that a new thing that has come about then with them working together recently? I think, I don't know that it's completely new. I think it's been growing over the last few years, but mm -hmm. I think it's definitely uh, a lot more common today than it was maybe a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And I think part of that is realizing that you it's not as efficient to build everything your, yourself yeah, in-house. It's a lot more efficient to collaborate. Mm -hmm. Exactly, exactly. Tell me- uh, Leverage the help of others. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, why, why, do, why build something if it's already there? You can save yourself time and then you can actually get to what you're trying to achieve. Let's talk even really more about the future. What, are the trends that you see in the next, I don't want to go too far in the future actually, because I mean, who knows what's going to happen, but let's say the next two years, what trends do you see emerging in the market? Um, I think, um, I think a lot more collaboration. Mm -hmm. I think the, we're, we're headed into some interesting times where we have a lot of fintechs that are beginning to mature and have grown their businesses historically through a lot of investment where return on investment was not as much as the focus because they were in growth stages. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that the market is maturing. They're turning into teenagers of business mm -hmm. and they're facing the realities of the fact that they're going to have to drive that return on investment. They need to drive that growth. And so, there are a lot of new entrants who focused on easy markets uh, like US, UK, Australia, Canada, markets where there was already an affinity to build cross-border payments, established rails. And I think in order to drive the growth that they need to be able to deliver on the return on investment that is expected as they mature, they're really going to have to reach into emerging markets. And we're seeing that trend already really uh, take root amongst banks and, and fintechs uh, where they're looking at, and it's not just fintechs, it's big tech in general, mm -hmm. but really focusing on markets that are uh, not the usual established markets and driving growth in Latin America, driving growth in Africa, uh, the Middle East, these, these regions have so much opportunity uh, that we are really seeing uh, uh, a strong interest in, in a lot of people in the industry to try to solve for those issues in order to drive the growth they need to that investors are expecting as a future. I guess it's kind of that kind of uh, circle kind of complex. Nothing can kind of be complete without something else being done um, in the world of technology. You know, you were saying obviously, and most people in India have a phone in their hands now. So why can't they be banked? I mean, without a phone, without the technology, without the Wi-Fi, be able to provide that. Um, so it's one of those things that in tandem, everyone is working together there. Um, tell me. Uh, a little bit more about challenges. So how can we now overcome these old processes in legacy banks and structures which hold uh, the industry back, basically? Do you believe it's possible and do you think it's needed now? I think it absolutely is needed. I think 
a few years ago, there were people who were concerned around, you know, are we going to have to rip and replace? Are we going to have to do everything all at once? Mm -hmm. uh, I think the real opportunity there is uh, to look at alternative ways in which they can drive incremental improvement without having to rip and replace. And that is using APIs, using the technology, finding ways to drive that middle layer of connectivity to new world, new innovation, without having to impact and take the risk of ripping out the core, because that really is the main source of their business. So it's incremental innovation, I think, is really important in order to drive that, that evolution. Will the big banks get smart first or the smart banks get big? What do you think? I think it's going to be both together. Uh -huh. <laughs> I think it's a sandbox. Yeah. So I think uh, I think big banks are already smart. I, I think they're really smart. And mm -hmm. the what the challenges they face are legacy infrastructure, risk management. Uh, but by working with fintechs and smart banks, they are overcoming some of those barriers. So I think it's them working with each other, finding that there is opportunity for both in the industry to, to collaborate and to drive growth for each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and at the end of the day, providing a better service for their mm -hmm. customers. Tell me how have you achieved this kind of success? What would be the best um, kind of, what would be the best advice you could give to people out there now starting these startups? Obviously you were there when it was five people. What is the best advice you can give them which you kind of wish you had right at the beginning? Mm -hmm. I think um, I, had, uh, I had a very wise boss um, who was the founder of XC, uh, Stephen Dengler and uh, have great admiration for him. And one of the things that he was really, really hyper-focused on, on was the fact that you need to be solving problems. Um, in order to be successful, you need to be solving a problem for somebody. If you're not, if you are just creating a problem uh, that doesn't exist, mm -hmm. then you're not adding any value. Mm -hmm. You're not progressing. Um, so, uh, I'd say, he, he used to say, respect, simplify, solve. Uh, you always have to be respectful of your customers, of your colleagues, of your competition. Uh, you have to simplify the problem because nobody wants to deal with complexity. We have too much complexity in the world. And you have to solve, you have to solve problems <laughs> because that's, that's how people uh, do business with you. You have to make their life easier. Well, I really like that. Respect, um, simplify and solve yeah very nice yeah. and the last question which i want to give uh, to you so um thinking lastly about dandelion where would you like dandelion to be let's say within the next two years it's only so far been what let's say about seven eight months which you've gone so far where would you like it to be in two years time well uh we're already a fairly established uh product so in terms of the development of the product i think um making sure that we are progressing with the evolution of the payments world so uh, digital wallets are beginning to take hold they're really important we have one of the largest digital wallet networks in the world making sure that we're continuing to drive that connectivity into new alternative channels um i think uh making sure 
that we are connecting people, you know, our, the network effect, as we drive more connectivity into uh, real-time networks, as more real-time networks build, develop domestically in different countries around the world, making sure that we're connected to those and, and, and driving the biggest real-time network, uh, cross-border payments network in the world. Um, and then really where we'd like to be is really be able to support more banks and more fintechs in enabling this product and service for their own customers because uh, it's such an important component of driving uh, economic growth mm -hmm. in emerging markets, driving growth for businesses, uh, driving connectivity for consumers with their loved ones. Uh, we really would like to see more connectivity of, of people around the world to to create opportunity. So amazing, so amazing. Cecilia, thank you so much for your time and for your expertise today. And I know everyone and our listeners are gonna love this. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Hey.